0: Here you, hear you. Welcome to the Depth Perception Podcast. We actually have a very special guest on our podcast today, Dr. Kombi Solani. Hi, Dr. Solani.
1: Hi, guys. Thank you for having me.
0: No, thank you for taking welcome. the time. Welcome
1: to, to the pod.
0: And welcome. We wanted to start with just hearing about you, telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we'll just get into it.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, SoCal native, grew up in. Uh, Beverly Hills, went to UCLA, Western University, class of 2013, started my practice cold, even though my family's been in the eye care field for over 60 years, they've been more on the optical side, eyewear side, and I took over on the medical side. Uh, Since they were in charge of the eyewear side, or the optical side, I really wanted to delve into the medical optometry component as far as services and, and whatnot, and quickly delved into the dry space we spent the last 10 years really honing in and helping drive patients both locally in our community as well as from out of town out of state and internationally
0: that's awesome you were the first class of western correct
1: yeah founding class member really just amazing to 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 go off that dream and here we are 10 years later i was so impressed with the program that one of my colleagues and i started a scholarship program for third-year students who Exemplified excellent clinical skills. So um, oh. can keep that scholarship going strong. That's do you,
0: do You also, are you a rotation site for Western right now or no?
1: We were temporarily for a little while and then we kind of pulled back, but we might be again. My philosophy is patient education and empowerment and also colleague education and empowerment. And we certainly encourage ODs and MDs to come shadow us for a day or for a week or longer just to check out our protocols.
0: Definitely. I mean, you have such a unique practice. I think it's, it's great to kind of have that as a rotation as well, just so we can all experience that kind of thing. Cause it is a newer branch of optometry for the most part. Um, I want to talk about like how you got into specifically dry eye, right? Your practice is more dry eye based and it's in Beverly Hills, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. we in the heart of Beverly Hills, adjacent to Hollywood. So we see a lot of fun um, folks on camera and actors, actresses, musicians, not. So that's been exciting, but my journey really started selfishly (laughs) to help myself. I've had dry for 20 years and the first 10 years was just with over-the-counter things and rostasis was the only drug approved at the time. And so I was on steroid drops, rostasis here and there, not super consistent. And then most recently in the last decade, we have the advent of all these wonderful technologies from a diagnostic side and the therapeutic side. I was the first patient for BlefX in our practice. Um, In fact, I had it done at a conference about 12 years ago by the founder, Dr. Reinerson, and um, it really changed my life. It led me down the path of looking at our literature and what other tools that were out there and slowly brought in LipiFlow and ILUX. IPL has been six years now, and most recently we brought in low-level light and radio frequency. through the advent of these newer modern devices, I've been able to pull away from a lot of the pharmaceutical options.
0: Do you see regular patients or do you get like these specialty patients like sent to your office specifically?
1: So we, in the beginning, as we were building the practice, the dry practice, I was managing primary eye care patients, um, comprehensive contact lens visits, glaucoma patients, diabetics, macular degeneration, et cetera. Uh, since it was also slower, I was shadowing at a retina clinic for um, a half day, once a week, once or twice a week, just real, really feel that much more comfortable with the posterior segment of the eye, um, but quickly realized that the ocular surface was something that I was really fond of and really doubled down on on that aspect. And it's been exciting. We've we've been been able to build out a niche. I think everyone's doing dry eye, but when I talk to no, you're probably in the top one percent of the nation to be yeah. able to offer so many treatment options and modalities. Um, and that number definitely changes. When I when I used to lecture or speak to a group of doctors in a room, maybe of 20, there were two doctors that were either familiar with some of these office-based treatments and carried those treatments in the office. Um, whereas when I spoke just a few weeks ago, half the room had some sort of device, other one or one or more devices to be able to manage these dry patients.
0: Yeah. Why do you think it's like exploded so much over the last couple of years? Do you just think that we just have these things readily available to us now versus like in the past where it wasn't prioritized or?
1: I think the education is there. Um, That's a big, big part. A lot of the companies are marketing to patients and patients are coming in, asking for technologies. And if they don't have it, they're referring to an office like ourselves. And sometimes other ODs and, and MDs are referring to us just to kind of see if the technology actually works. We send those patients back. We send reports back as far as signs and symptoms improving. And then they go, okay, let me, maybe we'll bring in the technology or we'll continue to refer to an advanced dry eye center that we trust. And we, we keep those relationships really sacred where if a primary eye care doctor refers to us, we only see those patients for dry eye and send them back. And to answer your earlier question, yeah, the last four years have been dry eye patients only from consults, treatments, and follow-ups as far as the patients I see. Uh, my colleagues that we brought in through the practice continue to see all patients from primary eye care to dry eye.
0: And how did you get to like, be known as this dry eye guru? You know what I mean? Like, How did they know to send to you? Like, do you have special marketing techniques? Or are you just going out into the community? Like, How does somebody who, let's say, wants to start like a dry eye practice or is interested in dry eye end up like honing their practice in and, and getting these patients to come to them?
1: So if you already have a primary eye care uh, practice, those dry eye patients are in your practice. If once you start to build a reputation that you do have these devices, patients become raving fans, they go talk to their primary care physician, their rheumatologist, their endocrinologist, their oculoplastic surgeon. So these are all referrals to our practice. Um, Pre-COVID and even during COVID, we've had a group of physicians that I'm a part of that are in, so we have one eye doctor, one dentist, one plastic surgeon, podiatrist, et cetera, et cetera. And we used to meet once a month at least. Uh, and now we just have a WhatsApp group. During COVID, we've helped to power each other through that or that difficult time, and even through through um, even though we're kind of beyond the deepest parts of COVID, we still collaborate and talk about what's working, best practices, right as far as marketing is concerned. I think social media is is a huge, huge platform to utilize. I mean, what you guys are doing here on a podcast is absolutely incredible, and just letting your colleagues know at trade shows and conferences and Uh, this is what I'm interested in. This is what I'm doing. And if you guys ever want to collaborate, we can. And that's how we all got to coordinate here, right? was at Vision Expo West in Vegas this past year. Definitely,
0: yeah. We love
2: conferences. Go ahead. I just wanted to go uh, backtrack a little bit because I feel like when you're in optometry school, there's so many different things that you get introduced to. So what's your timeline? Or how did it start from like, were you always ocular surface or interested in dry eye in school? And then when did how many years did it take out of school to start your practice? And then once you started practicing, you were seeing primary care, mainly, how many years doing primary care? Did you become dry eye guru? Like, what's
1: (laughs) great question? I
2: feel like Yeah, but like just from the story, it just happened very quickly, but was there years in time that took this or how did that happen?
1: Certainly. So I graduated in 2013 and immediately started the practice um, the next month in in June, really as soon as I got my license, I was going to Western. I was actually really excited to go into sports vision therapy or sports medicine, if you will, and Western has a big, big program in in neuro and VT and whatnot. So I was hoping to go down that path. And we simultaneously started primary eye care, kind of the sports vision therapy, um, dry eye, contact lenses, medical eye care. And I realized that that dry eye just took off. It's one of those things that organically did amazingly. And I was helping a lot of patients on the VT side and, and the other aspects of the practice, but I kept realizing that I love the dry eye side and I love working with technology. And in optometry, Growing up in this field, going to Vision Expo since I was maybe three or four, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, seeing all the technology on the diagnostic side was really exciting to me. And here here we are in 2013, the technology starts to come out on the therapeutic side. And we see that today with with every subspecialty of optometry and whether you want to go into myopia control, specialty contact lenses, um, uh, dry eye, of course, vision therapy things continue to evolve. We got to see this whole idea of neural lens, right, for primary eye care has been really interesting. For the dry eye side, there's 14 different office-based treatments that we offer at this moment, and most of those are actually device-based. And it's my addiction to technology and um, (laughs) wanting to continue to evolve and and enjoy the puzzle. At a certain point, primary eye care became too easy for me. I, I felt like I kept... I would... The way, we used to, the way we built our primary eye care practice was I would talk to colleagues at, at conferences and in, in the air, locally in the area and say, send me your most difficult primary eye care patient, the ones that you guys want to fire or get rid of, send them to me. And so I got to early on deal with a lot of challenging cases and I realized, okay, I got that under control. What else can I do? And dry eye became one of those really exciting moments. So to answer your question, the first... 6 years was a little bit of everything and the last 4 years was um, has been just strictly dry eye and um it's extremely exciting. I don't get to spend 30 minutes with every patient and see 20 patients, 15-20 patients a day. Mm-hmm. But I really get to dive deep into these patients' lives. So as optometry we we like building relationships with our patients and seeing them every year, but with dry eye patients, I get to see them once a month, once a quarter. It's really fun and you're really changing these patients' lives for the better as far as not only improving their quality of vision, but their quality of life. Some of these folks are defeated both mentally and physically. They stop working, they stop driving, um, they go into depression, anxiety, they have suicidal ideations. They're really defeated and they've seen three to five doctors on average before they get to a clinic like ours that actually meets or exceeds their expectations and they're shocked that I get to spend an hour to an hour and a half with them at their first visit. And typically they get shorter from there, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour for future visits. But I'm not just performing a treatment and saying, okay, I'll see you later. At each visit, when we're performing treatments, I'm checking in with them and we're pivoting or evolving their treatment protocol based off of the feedback they share with me.
2: Doug, I do want to just ask you a question. Since you mentioned sports vision, Um, That's actually a niche that I'm like very interested in. So I know you kind of didn't like keep going with that. Obviously you're doing dry eye, but do you have any advice or just like, you know, any tips and tricks about what you were doing with that when you first started? Um,
1: Just sharing with your patients that whether it's through email campaigns, social media, as they come in through the practice that you offer these services and then we got lucky. We, we even had some athletes that had worked for pro teams that came through and we got to interact with them and take photos if they're open to it and have them sign off on, on posting that and sharing that. And that's really the traction can build is when you can um, want to constantly innovate and market
3: yourself. Yeah.
0: JD, anything? I know you had a question earlier.
3: Yeah, I mean that's uh on my perspective is coming uh graduating three years ago. The the question now is, you know, you you get comfortable and, and you wanna challenge yourself and fill your cup and and find your passion piece, something that you're like excited to do. And and so a couple of things that you were saying that I really liked was like you're you're feeling people's uh you know, helping them with their quality of life and, and their quality of sight. And I, I see some excitement on your on your part. What else about getting into the dry space like makes it exciting to go about work?
1: It's really cool. these patients, I mean we, we have a four month old at home. A lot of these patients we're excited. What's your baby registry? Uh, can I send you a gift? Aww. Can we see photos of your baby? So they come back on such a regular basis that they're seeing a lot of cool milestones. Um, even for as far back as seven years ago when we were getting married, can I see photos of you know the wedding and can I see photos of your trip? So being able to have a deeper connection with these patients has been really satisfying. It's the whole 80-20 rule. I'm saying maybe 20% of the patients that we did previously, but I'm really enjoying that 80 percent of the time with them and the the practice has also done really well from a growth standpoint because i'm able to you know if you if you when you go into a luxury store you go into a five-star hotel you're not just in and out it's a really deep process where everyone says hi to you and they spend quality time you go into a luxury store they give you a water they ask if you want champagne and things of that sort now we don't offer champagne in our practice, but we have some of those nice, <laughs> those, nice, those nice touches where you have a great team, you have great technology, you make that, that visit from the moment. they We, we will encourage other optometrists, uh, we'll set it up as a concierge style, we'll give us the patient's information, we'll reach out to them and make that process as streamlined as possible and minimize the stress, stress to getting to an appointment. As far as booking online or um, giving them the, the correct steps to get them to enjoying the journey, sometimes seeing a doctor isn't the most fun, especially if you're already suffering. And we want to make that journey as pleasant as possible, from their suffering to optimizing their ocular surface. That's amazing.
3: You also have that Instagram wall, right? What's that? The Instagram wall. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then of course the thank you. <laughs> um, the the um, the Instagram eye mural wall that we have the practice is really fun. Whether it's our, our fun day to day patients that we want to take photos, we have some visitors that are not even patients that off the street because we're on Robertson, which is a, a well known street in Beverly Hills. Uh, they'll just kind of walk by, and I ask the team, "Is that one of our patients?" Because we're on the street level, and they go, "No, it's just random, you know, random folks that want some photo." Because it's it's beautiful, just like the angel wings and whatnot. Uh, we had yeah. a street artist that we that we had hired, and he. Tr- up, He drew up a few mock-ups, and we said we love that idea. The eye mural that that we're referring to, the top half has branches, which is almost like dry eye, and the bottom half is a waterfall. It's almost like epiphora or cheering of of eyes. And the center of the pupil is shaped like a heart. So
2: um, it's really pretty. Yeah,
1: it's really a really special piece for us.
2: So I have a question for somebody that... um maybe has wants to switch to seeing patients in more dry eye setting and spend an hour and an hour and a half with their patients. What are the key things they need to start that in their practice? And maybe like not talking about devices like are you like I'm thinking I'm in low vision right now. So when I'm in low vision and seeing low vision patients like case history takes up most of it. Um, Is it just like spending a longer case history? Great. Or is there anything specific you're doing? And then at the same time, do you, what kind of devices do you have at your practice or what devices do you need to have to have a successful dry eye practice?
1: So there's, there's a few ways of looking at it. You can either be a primary eye care office that wants to refer to an advanced dry eye center, right? If you trust that they'll coordinate care and that they'll send patients back. And one of the most important things with us when we share coordination of care with either ophthalmologists, optometrists, or other colleagues is making sure the professionalism is there. We're seeing that patient for what they sent them to us for, and then we send them back, mm-hmm. right? We never try to steal a patient. That's so, so important where um, you can lose that that trust. When the patient actually mm-hmm. comes in to see us, they're filling out a very in-depth online form that goes over their, their medical history, medication history, symptom survey, what other treatments they've had, because oftentimes they've Seen by the time they get to us, they've they're on a, they've had other treatments, whether it's pharmaceutical, over-the-counter, et cetera. Um, and so we're here to hone in on what's mi- what are we missing or what's been missed. Mm-hmm. So in that, we also wanna determine what other factors are playing a role in their condition, whether it's biologic factors, lifestyle factors, or environmental factors. Um, once they're in the practice, they're actually going through a series of tests that they're being, that are being performed, typically by one of our medical assistants. So we're capturing high definition and infrared images. We're performing point of care testing, mm-hmm. and we're evaluating the ocular surface in the slit lamp with vital dye staining, um, such as mm-hmm. lissamine green and and um, fluorescein. We're also taking it a step further to check for things like lagophthalmus, incomplete eyelid closure, and mm-hmm. um, oftentimes if they're advanced enough, we'll check corneal sensitivity. I kind of wish we would check that on every patient, but um, oftentimes just talking to them, I know where we're headed and performing some of these tests just confirms that. And I want as much baseline information as possible in order mm-hmm. to show them what's going on as far as their findings, come up with mm-hmm. the appropriate diagnosis because sometimes they are actually misdiagnosed with maybe allergies when it should have been demodex blepharitis or some, you know, something along those lines.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we're there to properly identify and rule out conditions such as ocular rosacea, MGD, demodex blepharitis, ligophthalmos, neurotrophic keratitis, filamentary keratitis, punctate. So there have been a lot of patients who have come to us who are constantly surprised. They thought they went to an advanced dry center and they go, wow, this is the most advanced visit I've ever had. Um, even at their primary eye care visits, just because we, we want information. Um, having information I think is a good thing. What you, um, what you measure matters, right? So and then just empowering them, being able to show them all the images with the firefly slit lamp, showing them their gland expression, right? If it's toothpaste-like, and that's that pimple-popping mm-hmm. component. Mm-hmm. And then um, from the from the treatment side, it really gets broken down into a few categories. And a great example is a Chilesian, right? You have at-home therapy, you have pharmaceutical options, you have office space, and you have surgical intervention. And oftentimes when they come to us, whether they find us on their own and they refer to us, our goal is to try to get them to avoid the surgical intervention. <laughs> um,
3: yeah.
1: And they love that. They go, oh, okay, great. I don't want to have an injection into my eyelid, or I don't want to have this thing cut out. What else can we do? And commonly through at-home therapy, in combination with office-based treatments, we're able to get that under control. I tend to stay away from pharmaceuticals if I can. And patients appreciate that. Sometimes I'll tell them, here's a sample of ISUVIS if you really want it, but these are the side effects. And they go, no, I trust you. Let's stick with the original game plan of trying to target this from an office-based root cause approach. And then we can reserve the pharmaceutical options for emergencies or, or bad flare-ups where the patient
3: isn't quite responding as we expect, which is a small percentage of the time. Oh, no, it's it's clear you're, you're clearly passionate about it. And, you know, you've tried different things, you found uh, what you like, and then you could see the passion is clear on the screen. Uh, how would you mm-hmm. say Like you took that next step to work with companies and get on billboards when you're at conferences. We've all seen your face on the billboards, right? We all want to be there one day. Uh, How would you say, uh, how'd you go about having those conversations with like industry partners, being a industry leader? Like, uh, how do you go about that?
1: So two different angles. One, they approach us just because of the presence that we had, Um, whether it's the following um, or the work that we were doing on social media. Oftentimes I get asked, on LinkedIn or, or Instagram, you know, who did you hire? Who's, who's, who's posting for you? And I say, it's our team, really. It's it's me and my team thinking about what posts we can share that's organic, authentic, we've, we've had our go with third parties, third-party marketing companies to help take over, but it's, it, it's, it, it's failed time and time again. The, the engagement that we used to get with those versus the, the posts that we put up, our team puts up is night and day. Um, On the other hand, just letting industry know that you're interested. If you're really passionate about it and and, um, you really enjoy what you're doing, just share with them. Let them know, hey, when you guys are looking for more KOLs or you're interested in bringing on um, somebody in this part of the country, go for it. With us, it's a little bit easier because of the reputation, the city we're in. So that's leveraged often. Uh, We we already see a lot of celebrities. We don't talk about it because of, of HIPAA often. But some have been okay with us sharing photos and those are on our Instagram and and uh Yelp and website which is kind of fun. So they'll come to me and say do you have celebrities that are interested in in working with us? And um we kind of take it from there. And there've been a lot of celebrities recently as far as Dry Eye, we we see Jennifer Aniston, Ken Jeong, Jenny Garth, Mandy Moore, um and they all have they they have become the face of Dry Eye, which is really cool. It's a real person disease, right? It's not just a um, old old person disease, right? We have our youngest patient is 12. We had a patient last week who was 18, just starting college at UCLA, just around the corner from us. And my oldest patient just turned 93 last month. And we see everyone in between because living in the 21st century, there's so many contributing factors to dry eye from hormone fluctuation to medications that we've talked about. Um, you know, Accutane, anything that has anti in front of it can mm-hmm. contribute to dryness. So mm-hmm. anticholinergic and, you know, uh, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, uh, antihistamine. And on top of that, living in certain environments, right? If you live in Vegas or Palm Springs or areas where they're there are desert-like, low humidity, that can play a role. Sleep, um, Sleep position can play a role. Diet, right? If you're eating an unhealthy diet, a lot of caffeine. We've just made small tweaks in patients' lives, such as, let's get you to a functional medicine doctor, check you for heavy metals and hormones and things of that sort, and we're able to just fix those things and the dry eye can improve, because the eyes are, as we learned, the eyes are uh, attached, are so intimately tied to the rest of the body from the brain to the cardiovascular system. Patients are surprised to hear that we can see STDs on the surface or in the back of the eye. Um, So, being able to collaborate care. And that's why Western was so amazing. And a lot of the newer schools or, or schools in general are updating their programs for the interprofessional component. That's been a huge, I had a, I had an Instagram live earlier today with a functional medicine doctor, and we refer to one another and being able to stay in touch. I've had patients where I've had to speak to their therapists and, and psychologists because the patients feel like they're gonna go blind because their dry eye can be that debilitating. And so we just have to reassure their team of doctors that we're here to facilitate things and that patient's not going to go blind under our watch. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Wow. Are you thinking about expanding your practice anytime soon or <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm um, not sure if you guys are familiar with PatientPop, but they're a, a great company that's kind of like your online presence for a lot of doctors. If they're building up, their, if they're starting their own practice, they, they're they able to build out a website and do your marketing and whatnot. And I'm um, one of their first five, doctors to come on board in the nation and actually an early investor of that company. And they've asked me like, we have the, the data, if you want to build another office on where to open. And, um, we just want to have a really great flagship office here in Beverly Hills. And thankfully a lot of patients come to see us. I have been invited to come out to the Middle East and Dubai, Abu Dhabi. And I took up, uh, one of our patients had seen a number of doctors. They didn't really figure out what was going on and we were able to help his wife. And so they invited us to come to Abu Dhabi as their guest for the formula one. And they got to give us a tour of the Cleveland clinic there. And, and uh, it was really a special, special invite, but I'm, I'm a creature of habit. And I like to stay within my little five mile radius, <laughs> Vegas is always lovely to go to. Um, but yeah, I think down the road, I would love to collaborate with other really passionate dry eye specialists and maybe help. we built a great system process and model and protocol with our practice. So maybe coordinate with other, doctors from around the country and, and, um, and go from there. But for me to go open other offices myself, um, maybe not in the next year or so, but potentially
0: <laughs>
1: Definitely amazing. Definitely in other parts of Southern California is what my wife and I have been thinking about.
0: Yeah. perfect. Does, what does your wife do? If I may ask.
1: She uh, went to law school and then she was in the corporate world for the longest time. And then I stole her away and I said, I needed her. (laughs) So she took on the hard role of director of operations at our practice almost six years ago. And I call her the heart of the practice, the heart and the brains of the practice, actually. Um, (laughs) And um, she, she puts on a lot of hats. I like, I love going in and seeing patients and doing that. And she really did everything else outside of, of direct patient care um, from training and hiring the staff to, to patient satisfaction. And, um, it's been hard having her away from maternity leave, but this is a a more important job and we're hoping to have her back hopefully by the end of the year, beginning of the new year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, we're really big on diversity in the pod and, and you're actually our first Persian guests which is amazing for me my fellow my fellow (laughs) Iranian so thank you for coming on this is like a very special time for me I I feel emotional because like I love seeing people I'm gonna cry in my community (laughs) like really stepping up and doing these big things welcome like um it just feels like like amazing just to see like you're thriving it feels like I'm thriving kind of thing too.
1: And that's really the best way to approach it. I surround myself. That's the other thing that we didn't talk about is just surrounding yourself with good people that are positive, successful, and want to elevate you and are not jealous of that success is really important. Making sure that you continue. I I love what you guys are doing and it excites me. I was telling you guys in person that doing a podcast has been on my to-do list, but it, it just can't get around to it. <laughs> There's everything happening and it keeps getting pushed down. So the next best thing is being a guest on a wonderful podcast like like this one, right? The Depth Perception Podcast. So just keep, um, just keep sharing what you're passionate about and surround yourself with good people and um, work hard. Luck plays a part in it as well, you know, timing. Mm-hmm. If I would have started the practice 20 years ago, the, sa- the dry practice would not have been as successful as it is now. The last 10 years, I have to devote to timing and luck because right as I was coming out of graduation, these devices became
3: mm-hmm. available.
1: I think Lipoflow just celebrated its 11th or 12th year anniversary as the first FDA-approved device for managing dry eye and MGD. Um, and then all these other devices have, devices have now come,
0: um, come to fruition. That's awesome. We're so proud of you. We loved having you on. You know, I could talk to you for hours, so I'll have to call you on a separate occasion. <laughs> if you need another celebrity to come into your practice, I mean, I'm available. invite so. <laughs> <laughs> <night> is open. <laughs> I'll be there. You can D- put me on call. D- D- before,
2: <laughs> before we let you go, um, you mentioned earlier about the scholarship that you uh, Upstart. Now, can, just for our student listeners, is that for solely Western? Is that for across the U.S.? You know, for third years, can you explain a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, at, at the moment, I think giving back is a big, big part of what we do, and paying it forward. Um, for for me, Western had done so much as far as education and and training, and my. Being a founding class member, we, we, I feel even more affection, like firstborn almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, that scholarship is for Western students, but there are other things that are in the pipeline um, as far as sharing not just knowledge, but, but helping to elevate. There were a few dry workshops that I put on, three to be specific, live workshops that I put on pre-COVID and going through some health issues and, and whatnot. I've had to put that on pause and just focusing more on the practice and family life and, and my own health. Yeah. Um, but it brings you a different perspective. Having a going through a health scare and, and becoming a father has really mm-hmm. changed my perspective on life and, and, and purpose. And um, at the end of the day, our reputation um, and the legacy what we be, what we leave behind is most mm-hmm. important. Um, so really try to do your best to, to make a difference, right? Leave this world a better place than, than when we, when we, before we touched it. And, um, I hope that's what I'm doing. And I hope that's where, how, how I'll be remembered. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Art Epstein was a, uh, sorry, it's going to make me kind of sad was one of my, one of my mentors and he was one of the big dry eye gurus. Um, and my one of my mentors, but he passed during COVID and, um, he was a, a really special guy and, um, Really impressed with with the the legacy he left behind. So trying to make him proud from above.
0: Yeah, we're sorry <laughs> for your loss, but just know that you have him with you, and and the passion that you share with us is is a legacy in its own, and, and definitely you're you're sharing the love that he gave you for sure.
1: Amazing. Thank you guys again so much. This has been absolutely incredible, and uh, hopefully there'll be a future interaction down the road. Definitely yes. Love definitely. It. Thank you so much. Thanks again, guys.